This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Mike Seifert, President and CEO of the National Grain and Feed Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Foreign subsidies are a threat to the U.S. sugar industry. Learn more about the 040 bill at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NGFA's Mike Seifert next. America's sugar growers are among the most efficient and sustainable in the world. But billions of dollars in foreign sugar subsidies distort the global market and put U.S. producers at a disadvantage. Weakening America's no-cost sugar policy without first reforming the global sugar market would hurt family farms, jeopardize good-paying jobs, and weaken the supply chain that puts sugar on consumers' tables. A new bill called Zero for Zero takes action to zero out all foreign subsidies and level the playing field. Learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Members of the National Grain and Feed Association are celebrating their 125th anniversary this year. Mike Seifert says this is an important week for the group with another special date coming up next month. NGFA is 125 years young this week on Tuesday, November 9th in Chicago. 38 grain dealers were in attendance and we ended up with 80 charter members at that time. And we will be going back to Chicago for our country elevator convention that we've had each year for the last 50 years. And uh, as it turns out, that 50th anniversary event will be in Chicago this year on our 125th anniversary as an organization. So we're going to be going home, so to speak, to where it all started to have that 50th anniversary meeting. And certainly something we'll be looking forward to. And we've already uh, kicked off the 125th anniversary a little early at our 125th annual convention earlier this year that we held out in Colorado in June. And we have uh, different meetings and different events, different webinars. A lot of it has shifted to, to the webinars this year for our members with COVID, but different topics and areas we're going to be focusing on, uh, both looking back but also looking a lot to the future. How has the mission of the Grain and Feed Association changed over a period of time? As you look over back over the history, there were five key points of why uh, those original 38 grain dealers met and, and why the association was formed. And it really focused on, at the time, the need for a uniform system of grain inspection and grading, developing a procedure for settling trade disputes, presenting a united front to rail carriers to improve rail grain transportation service, developing fair and equitable rules to govern the trading of grain and feedstuffs, and the need to elevate business practices, as they said, to a higher moral plane. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure what was going on that led to that last point. But when you look through those key points, I mean, really, a lot of those are what our focus still is today, the importance of the quality in the standards of the grain and oil seeds and feedstuffs that our members are helping move in and produce and move into export markets on behalf of U.S. producers. The continued need and focus uh, for transportation on rail, infrastructure, the, the debate we've been having on Capitol Hill for several months now. Out of those uh, guidelines as well, NGFA developed a arbitration system and trade rules which are as old as the association itself. 
and, and which are still really the, the arbitration system is what a lot of our members will tell you they consider the crown jewel of the association, so to speak. More important to them even um, than, than the advocacy and, and, and promotion of the industry that we do. And so in that way, uh, while a lot of things have changed in terms of the industry, our membership, how things are done, the underlying baseline principles really have not changed in 125 years, and it's having standards and an industry that will work for all involved, from the producer uh, to the customer and everyone in between. How much of your customer base is domestic and how much of it is export? For us, virtually all of our members are, in terms of what we consider our customers or our members, would be North American-based. Uh, we have US, largely U.S. members. We also have members um, in Canada, uh, some in Mexico. Um, but all would be, for the most part, North American uh, or heavy North American operations. As part of that, we have members who are solely uh, focused on the domestic market, and then we also have uh, members who are heavily engaged uh, in the export market and, you know, names that you could all list in, in terms of exporters. And, and I think, you know, to give you a sense of, of the diversity of our membership, um, as I mentioned, you know, we started with 80 charter members. We now have uh, over uh, almost 1,100 members uh, in, in GFA, and those members range in size, I would say, anywhere from five full-time employees to probably uh, close to 150,000 uh, full-time employees, and those include country elevators, export ele- terminals, feed mills, uh, cash grain and feed merchandisers, commodity futures brokers, uh, commission merchants, railroads, barge lines, um, other transportation companies, processors. If, if they're engaged in the movement uh, of the grain and feed oil seeds at, at any stage of the process, uh, they or one of their related businesses are, are very likely one of our members. So, Mike, as we turn our attention to Washington, you have to be pleased to see the House of Representatives' action with regard to the infrastructure bill last Friday. Now, when you look at our at our membership, um, moving grain, being able to move the product and oil seeds, that really is um, one of our top priorities, has been for a number of years. And, you know, give you a sense of why this legislation is so important um, to our membership is there are, in the U.S. waterways transportation system, 360 commercial ports, 237 lock and dam chambers, and 12,000 miles uh, of navigable waterways. And also, you know, shipping commodities um, via barge and tow and barge um, is the most efficient and lowest carbon uh, emissions uh, compared to other forms of transportation. And, you know, a, a couple of facts that always really jump out at me every time I see them, and, and even though I, you know, I see them on a daily basis, is the fact that one towboat uh, can move a ton of cargo, almost 650 ton miles per gallon of fuel, and a single 15-barge tow transports the same amount of cargo as 216 rail cars or 1,050 semi-trucks. And I think uh, when you think about just the size and the importance of the system, but then you also take a look at some of the labor issues that we've had and the supply chain issues that we've had, and you look at how many um, rail cars or semi-trucks we can take off the road if we're moving barges, I think that really emphasizes, um, to me and our NGFA membership, 
why getting this legislation uh, before it is so important. What about competition in the rail industry? We have seen consolidation, and even now there's more discussion about uh, fewer involved and more uh, more rail service in the country. Sure. You know, uh, going back um, to our founding, um, competition and relationships with the rail industry uh, – was one of the key issues that NGFA was founded. And and I want to be clear that we and emphasize that NGFA understands and and supports the fact that um, rail uh and the rail companies are very important uh to the transportation sector uh in this country and they are very important uh to the NGFA membership uh in terms of we know that it's a partnership um, that that we need to be able to to work with them and and to, and to move our commodities. Having said that, you know we are working um, with STB uh, to provide better methods for challenging uh, unreasonable rates and requiring railroad carriers to provide increased access to railroad service data. Um, we think the STB could imp- increase competition uh, among railroads by finalizing a uh, proceeding uh, of reciprocal or competitive switching, which basically means that that would enable shippers and receivers uh, that are captive to one rail carrier but are near a second rail carrier uh, to gain access uh, to to the second carrier. Uh, we're also um, interested in uh, final offer rate review um, for those who shippers who may not have access or be close to a second carrier, STB's uh, been looking at. And then um, STB, STB is requesting information on first-mile, last-mile rail service, and that really uh, is a big issue uh, for the NGFA membership as well in terms of uh, how do you get uh, those rail cars or that shuttle uh, that last mile uh, into the facility and get it, be able to get it loaded uh, in a reasonable manner and then get it moved in a reasonable manner as well. And so those are certainly, um, uh, while it is a key partnership uh, for NGFA and our membership, we do think that there are some, some key steps that in particular STB uh, could take uh, to, to really make it work better uh, for, for the railroad's customers and, and for those who are our customers and the producers that we're working with as well. Mike, at the time of our conversation, the Build Back Better Act is still a working document. But at the last draft and word that I had heard, there was still about $90 billion for ag and $28 billion of that for some level of conservation programs moving into elements to help farmers adopt conservation-intensive practices on their farms that might sequester more carbon. Uh, while this would still, in many areas, allow for the production of grains and all seeds, there are some areas that would take land out of production. Do you have concerns about opening uh, policies or changing the Farm Bill without debating the whole Farm Bill? Well, I, I'm an old Ag Committee staff director, Jeff, so <laughs> uh, I, I always uh, think any time you can go through what Senator Roberts, my own boss, used to call regular order, um, that that's a good thing. Um, I also understand um, that sometimes you take you take advantage of the opportunity that that's in front of you, um, and certainly uh, some of those working on, on Build Back Better believe this is an opportunity to add money to the agricultural baseline. Um, I think where our the it's important to lay out NGFA's positions in terms of conservation, and we are certainly strong supporters of conservation programs, particularly the working lands programs like um, CSP and EQUIP, which are going to keep land in production while sequestering carbon 
or bringing about uh, better environmental practices. We are uh, 100% supportive of those programs and, and believe that they are an important part of agriculture in the U.S. today. We do have concerns with those programs that would idle or take land out of production, um, particularly CRP, which is expansion of that, has not been part uh, of the proposal on the Hill, and we're very happy about that, and we thank uh, both the chairs and uh, the committees and others that we've worked with on that. But we do believe that those land idling programs are not of the benefit to U.S. agriculture in the long run. When you have those larger tracts that are enrolled in, in CRP, or other programs, the local economy suffers, and productive farmland, which could be enhanced with conservation practice, is, for lack of a better term, wasted, or or it just sits there. We also think that when you take land out of production here in the U.S., you are sending a message to competitors overseas that they should put more land into production. And I think when you look at some of those countries where that land goes into production versus here in the U.S., you can safely say that some of the farming and the agricultural practices that they are using are not nearly as uh, environmentally friendly as what we are doing here in the U.S. So if the purpose is to improve conservation, improve climate, we shouldn't be promoting programs that are going to push production overseas. I think the, it's also important to point out that you know the last farm bill set CRP rental rates uh, and I believe 80-85% of the county average. And recently when USDA made its announcement that it was doing enrollments in CRP, it added uh, an inflation adjustment to take those rates up. Um, we severely question, A, uh, the legality of that, but I think it's also important to realize that when you are bidding uh, rates up through CRP and rental rates then the land that is still in production, those rental rates are also going up. And the folks who are going to have the most difficult time competing in that market from an from a agriculture farming perspective are going to be socially disadvantaged and beginning farmers uh, who are trying to get in and expand their operations. And so uh, from a conservation and an environmental standpoint and what it causes in overseas production, we don't think that makes a lot of sense. But when you also take a look at the discussions that we're all having in terms of socially disadvantaged producers and beginning farmers and trying to expand um, their opportunities for farming and agriculture, pursuing policies that's going to bid up rental rates and make it harder for them to do exactly that don't seem to make a lot of sense either. A couple of weeks ago, we had Arkansas Congressman uh, Rick Crawford on this same program, and he echoed your comments about uh, changes to the Farm Bill without the agricultural leadership in the Congress having a hand. And he was also incredibly concerned about cybersecurity. We have seen challenges in the livestock processing industry, and we've also seen it in the grain business as well. How does that affect the Grain and Feed Association? November 1st was my eighth-month anniversary uh, coming on here at NGFA. And when I came on in March and went through the list of key issues with our membership, with the staff team here, with my board of directors, cybersecurity was was mentioned, um, but it certainly was not what I would consider uh, one of the, the top issues. Now I think it is something that is absolutely uh front and center uh, in terms of our membership and, and something that they're, that they're aware of. And um, obviously, we've had some very highly uh, publicized um, ransomware attacks and some that haven't been, been publicized. 
Um, but I think it is clear to our NGFA members that it's something that they have to be aware of. I think it's become clear that food and ag is a sector that is very vulnerable, that is being targeted, and our members understand at NGFA understand the importance of the integrity of the system, protecting their operations, and the importance of what we do for the entire U.S. market and our ability to be able to both to, to move product and, and to price it and give producers the price they want. And so it's certainly something we're spending a lot more time focusing on than we were even at the beginning of this year. And we're working close to make sure information from FBI, CISA, other federal partners, that we're getting it out, putting it out, pushing it out to our membership um, so that they can take advantage of those resources to harden up their systems. We're doing webinars internally for our membership on best practices and at the Country Elevator Conference um, that we discussed earlier in this conversation in December, we're going to have a whole session uh, focused on uh, best practices from several companies in the industry, uh, challenges they've seen, practices they've taken to, to address the concerns they have, and then we're also going to have a representative from the insurance industry um, to walk through with our members other topics, other things they should be thinking about in this area, and also what kind of insurance coverages should they be, be taking a look at uh, to protect themselves in case something does happen and, and they um, do fall victim. Mike, do you share concerns of the livestock industry and in calling on Washington to protect our borders and keep the U.S. livestock herd safe? Absolutely. And, you know, uh, feed is an important part of uh, a national grain and feeds mission. And um, with African swine fever uh, reaching the Western Hemisphere this, for the first time in 40 years, um, that's certainly something that we're paying a, a lot of attention and focus on. And, you know, the U.S. feed industry is playing a really important role in safeguarding U.S. animal agriculture from foreign animal diseases. And, you know, Things we've been working on uh, with others in the industry are, are to really uh, work to gain a better understanding of the role feed feed, feed ingredients um, serve as potential vectors of disease, um, working to enhance uh, practical biosafety protocols, implementing disease uh, response and preparedness plans, and uh, really interacting with FDA and USDA on, on potential regulatory responses. And so, um, absolutely, we. We share that concern uh, very much so and uh, certainly consider it uh, one, one of the top priorities uh, on, on key, key threats that, that we're trying to make sure we're addressing. Well, feed and feed additives are being mentioned as one of the key elements of helping livestock production, particularly confined animal livestock operations in the country, meet their sustainability goals. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And we are, we at NGFA have been, uh, actually have currently a, a climate and sustainability task force that our chairman, uh, Joanne Briette, appointed earlier this year and looking at ways that we as an industry can, uh, can engage on that front. And one of the topics that has come up in those discussions is exactly what you discussed, uh, feed and feed additives that, that can, uh, help address, um, uh, the climate issues from that standpoint with livestock. And it's an area where uh, more still to be done, but we certainly think there's opportunity there. Mike, let's shift over to one last area, and that of trade. And I'll take you to a conversation between our Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, and the Agriculture Leadership of Mexico recently. And the ag leader there suggested that Mexico's pushback against glyphosate 
should not affect the export relationship between the U.S. and their country. How do you see, whether it's Mexico or other countries, the pushback from some particular crop protection products and acceptance within their borders? Certainly. Well, you know, we, uh, as with all U.S. farm groups, have a policy of supporting uh, supporting science, and uh, and that's what we think the basis should be, and, and the sanctity of our trade agreements. And certainly... Um, some of the comments we had heard coming out of Mexico were concerning. I think um, the the comments from the discussion that Secretary Vilsack and, and Secretary Villalobos had uh, are very positive. And you know, our key focus is making sure uh, that trade is not disrupted uh, between the U.S. and Mexico or or any other country. Um, our our priority of our members is making sure uh, that those commodities and those goods and those services continue to move. But I think all of these discussions. Um, emphasize the importance of having a strong trade team, an agriculture-focused trade team uh, in place uh, at both USTR and USDA. And when you look back um, to the Obama administration and Darcy Vetter and Michael Skoos kind of in the key positions at USTR, USDA, and then Greg Dowd uh, and Ted McKinney uh, in the last administration, um, that's part of why you know we were strong supporters of Catherine Tai uh, in her nomination uh, for U.S. in confirmation for USTR. Uh, we're very excited about um, the the nomination of Elaine Trevino, and we're hoping we can get her in there sooner rather than later. And I think it really also emphasizes the importance of why um, we really need a a nomination to be put forward on that Undersecretary for Trade position at, at USDA because uh, maintaining these trade agreements, making sure we preserve the trail. Uh, trade trade flows between uh, these countries is, is crucial, uh, but it's really important to have those people in those seats that we need there. That are, that it's their job to focus on those uh, on those topics every day. Mike, there was discussion and some disappointment, I think, in the agriculture industry when uh, former President Trump uh, pulled the U.S. out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now there is discussion, perhaps, of the U.S. maybe joining the CPTPP. How would the Grain and Feed Association feel? Uh, about that move? I tell you, uh, NGFA membership sees Southeast Asia uh, as a real opportunity for growth uh, and, and new export markets. And um, I think if if they announced that we were going to join the agreement tomorrow, the, the position of our membership would be, could we make it happen today? Um, I think... Uh, uh, it, it is something that would create a lot of excitement for our members and something that we'd be strongly supportive of uh, and that we are very hopeful um, that the Biden administration will, will take another look at. Well, Mike, we congratulate you on being the seventh president and CEO of the National Grain and Feed Association and its 125 years. Thank you for your service of agriculture uh, throughout your career. Uh, we thank you for being on this edition of Open Mike. Mike, it is Open Mike, and you have the last word. Well, thanks, Jeff. And, you know, uh, with this being our 125th anniversary week, I just want to say that, you know, we, we've discussed a lot of the challenges um, here during this conversation, but uh, I think and we think and our members here at NGFA uh, believe that the opportunities uh, for both us and, and U.S. agriculture are, are terrific. And um, I'm just excited um, as a Kansas farm kid, 
to be able to still be involved in agriculture, a great, orga- a great organization, great membership, uh, a truly member-driven organization uh, here at NGFA. We've got, um, yeah, I didn't mention earlier, but we've got 17 different committees um, that we work from the ground up to develop our policies. And between those committees and our board of directors, we've got almost 350 volunteers uh, on an annual basis. And I've got a lot of hope um, for the future of agriculture when we've got that many people um, that are ready and willing and want to engage, not just on behalf of our organization, but on, on behalf of uh, the entire U.S. agriculture industry. And so uh, for me to get to be here every day uh, is just a tremendous uh, and humbling honor. And I think the future is incredibly bright, and I'm very excited uh, to be a part of it. Um, and I don't know, I know you and I won't be doing this, this uh, interview in another 125 years, but I'm very confident that um, – Two others will be doing this to celebrate NGFA's 250th anniversary and that U.S. agriculture and NGFA will be even stronger then than we are today. Our thanks to Mike Seifert, President and CEO of the National Grain and Feed Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Foreign subsidies are a threat to the U.S. sugar industry. Learn more about the Zero for Zero bill at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jack Alley.